Welcome to episode 94 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, a sneak peek inside 2017 outdoor trends and upcoming gear. Then on the Summit Gear Review, we'll share a Nalgene that is 50% more than the Nalgene you already have. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn another use for a Nalgene that will get you ready for those chilly autumn backpacking trips. And we'll wrap up the show with a vision of green threads. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Hey everybody, earlier this month, Heather got to go to the outdoor retailer Summer Market in Salt Lake City. This is a place where all of the outdoor gear manufacturers put up a booth and show their up and coming gear. They're showing gear that's coming out next year. So, I mean, we're in 2016 right now, but at the show, Heather was looking at gear that's coming out this fall, next spring, next summer, you know, seeing what's on the horizon with backpacking gear. It's also a time where members of the Outdoor Industry Association get together and make, um, I guess, a vision or they make plans for the future, you know, how they want to promote the outdoors and kind of move ahead their agenda. And so one of the things that I noticed this year was the use of the term outdoorist. And that was a term that I had never heard before. But, you know, once you hear it, you instantly know what it means. It's someone who spends time outdoors. Well, it was coined a year ago by the Outdoor Industry Association. And the idea behind this term is that some of us who love the outdoors We've realized that maybe we've put too much emphasis on what type of outdoor person we are. You know, like, I'm a backpacker. You're a surfer. Oh, you're a hunter. You're an angler. You're a biker. And now I think that we're realizing that maybe we have more in common than we previously thought. That hikers, campers, climbers, paddlers, fishermen, hunters, cyclists, and all types of outdoorists, we all have different reasons for being outside, but the one thing that we all share in common is that outside is where we find joy. And there's power that comes with the realization of this shared joy. It means that we have a shared experience, we have a shared voice, we have a collective power and we have an instant family. There's another term similar to outdoorist that's been around a lot longer. It's outdoorsman. What do you think when I say the word outdoorsman? Oh, I think hook and bullet. The hunters and the fishermen. I don't, I don't see myself as being an outdoorsman. Right. So I think that's probably why the industry tried to coin a new term of outdoorist, because they wanted some term that's more inclusive of all the different types of outdoor activities. And there have at times been these, uh, I guess, well, like you said, chasms between people who enjoy the outdoors one way versus another way. 
For example, uh, you've got the hunters and the fishermen. And then on the other side of the chasm or on the other side of the fence, you have the people who are into preserving the wilderness or things like that. And I think the industry is starting to get a realization that those people aren't so different from each other. Right. That they shouldn't actually be on opposite sides of the fence um, shooting at each other, exactly. so to speak. That they should be working together because they have very similar goals. Just to draw an example, while we were in Salt Lake for the outdoor retailer show, we had a chance to visit uh, some friends. And uh, from their back porch, uh, one of our friends, he pointed up into the mountains just right from his back porch and said, that's where I'm going elk hunting this fall. I have a, a permit to go bow hunting and I'm going to harvest an elk. You can see that the hunters are changing their terminology a little bit. Because harvest it has behind it the understanding that elk is a renewable resource, that it's natural for there to be elk born and for elk to be killed and used by other animals, including humans. And so he has that understanding of that life cycle. But he also said, as part of the conditions of the, uh, the permit or the, the tag to go get his elk, he's required to do service up in the mountains to do habitat restoration and things like that, or, you know, cleaning up litter and that kind of stuff. He, he has to do, it was something like 20 hours of service as a condition for harvesting an elk. And so it's stuff like that, that really, you know, when you understand a little deeper, you, you get this understanding that every outdoorist has an appreciation for nature and I think a reverence for nature and wants to preserve it so that they can continue to enjoy what they enjoy today. And if you're wondering what the Outdoor Industry Association has on their agenda, it's three really basic things that I think all outdoorists can really get behind. Number one is policy, and that's policy that makes it so that we can all continue to recreate in these beautiful areas of our country. The number two was outdoor participation, so the idea of getting everyone outdoors, making sure that everyone has access regardless of the barriers that keep them from having access. And the number three pillar of the Outdoor Industry Association was sustainable practices. So being gentler to the earth that we want to keep using for a long, long time. For example, one of the things they mentioned was it does no good to create all these great products that get people into the outdoors if the byproduct of your manufacturing is destroying the outdoors. And all outdoorists, whether they be the, the hunters and the fishermen or the backpackers or the hikers, I think they can all get behind those themes because those things are important to all outdoorists. So next time you see someone outdoors that's participating in an activity that's different than your activity, instead of seeing them as a surfer or a hunter or a stand-up paddleboarder or a cyclist, see them as an outdoorist and start to see all of us that are in the outdoors recreating as one big, powerful, loving community. I'm so excited about this next part of the show. <laughs> this is the top five things that I saw at the 2016 Outdoor Retailer Summer Market. And as Josh said, this is just a place that is all abuzz with outdoorists who are excited about gear. They're excited about innovation. They're excited about, you know, getting out. Yeah, I think the manufacturers were excited about 
creating new products that are going to improve people's experience in the outdoors. Retailers who are coming there to kind of source those products are excited about providing those new things to their customers. And then there are people like us, media, bloggers, and so on, who are really excited about promoting the use of the outdoors. Like in our case, we're really excited about what happens when someone goes on their first backpacking trip. Definitely. And the number one thing that I saw at the 2016 Outdoor Retailer Summer Market was the hammock revolution. This is a big, big deal. There were hammocks everywhere. Hennessy, Grand Trunk, Yukon Outfitters, Kamek, even companies who had never done hammocks before were there with hammocks. There were some really interesting hammock accessories. There was one, you know, not for backpackers, but <laughs> it was this big thing that you attached to your truck so that you could hook up your hammock to your truck. Climate, which we've reviewed in the past, they make pads. Climate has an inflatable pad specifically for hammocks. So it fills up the whole hammock and you just get all around warmth. Cedar Summit also has a really cool looking ultralight hammock. Several companies had inflatable hammocks, which I think they're still kind of working out the bugs on those, like for staying inflated and stuff. But um, just lots and lots of hammocks. People are just excited about hammocks. So I got to go to the show for the first time for one day that week. When you're in Salt Lake, you're going to the OR show and I'm taking care of my day job, right. um, meeting with clients <laughs> that I happen to have in Salt Lake. It's really handy. But I was able to take one day off and go to the show. Uh, when I first walked in, I'll say I was completely overwhelmed. I just kind of stood there for a second. <laughs> but you're right. I saw hammocks everywhere. Even at Thermarest, you know, they make pads, basically. Well, they had eight hammocks hanging up in their little booth. Well, not little booth, big booth. And the hammocks all had various... Uh, you know, insulation things attached to them, you know, a hammock with a Thermarest pad inside of it, a hammock with a Thermarest underquilt under it, stuff like that. And I remember telling you, oh, yeah, even Thermarest got into the hammock thing. They don't even make hammocks, but they've hung all these hammocks up. Come to find out, Thermarest now makes hammocks. They have a single hammock and a double hammock. It's a big deal. I mean, we just did our hammock episode a few weeks ago, and it's a huge revolution. So it was really fun to see that at the show. And one of the things that's so great about hammocks is they're lightweight, they're colorful, and just, I don't know, the feel it gave to the show was really fun. You just felt like you were in a tropical paradise the whole time. The number two thing that I saw at the Outdoor Retailer Summer Market was water filters that protect against viruses. Now, this trend really left me wondering what they know that I don't know. And here's a little paragraph from MSR's website. MSR makes water filters and a whole bunch of other great backpacking stuff. It says, if you catch a virus, its source was most likely another human being. Therefore, human-specific viruses tend to be less present in settings where there's little human traffic. So that would be like the backcountry where we usually go. They continue, in addition, in developed regions, like much of North America and Europe, advanced sewage systems and generally good hygiene practices have greatly reduced the risk of viral outbreaks. Even as a traveler in the backcountry, however, you must be observant of your surroundings and recognize where others may not have practiced clean tactics. Popular camp spots tend to be higher risk zones. 
And then this was the part that really kind of hit me. It says, with increased human use of our backcountry, the need for virus protection might be something we'll need to seriously consider. And so I saw lots of different booths that had filters that filtered out viruses. The one that was the real standout for me was the Catadine B-Free, and we'll be reviewing that really soon. The Sagan filter was another one. Grail is a really simple to use filter, a little bit heavier, but it filters out viruses also. Uh, and then the Renovo Move water filtration system that uses three different sections. You know, one does protozoa, one does bacteria, and then the highest level does viruses. Anyway, it kind of got me wondering, like, well, you know, we've just taken it for granted for so long that our water here was safer than a lot of other countries and we didn't have to worry about viruses. And now here we see filters that are now including virus protection. And the big question, right, is are they doing it just because they can because technology has improved and it's easy enough to do it now? Or are they doing it because of an increased risk? Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. Well, in any case, virus protection in your water filtration is great for emergencies and international travel. And a lot of these can be taken with you. They're just, you know, they're small, compact, easy to use. And so if you happen to have an emergency situation or you're traveling outside of the country, there you go. It's a multi-use item. The number three thing that I saw at the outdoor retailer summer market this year was a lot more collaborations between companies. And I thought this was really cool. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can collaborate with another company and combine not only your, your devoted audience, but combine your resources, your creativity. So I saw a collaboration between Hydropack and Catadine. And that was the Catadine B-free filter that I just mentioned. Right. It uses Catadine's filter with Hydropack's um, pouch. T yeah, it's a TPU pouch. It's really strong. There was a collaboration between 0.6 Socks, which is a spinoff of Smart Wool, along with the company 37.5. Yeah, go figure that one out. I know. 0.6 and 37.5. I think that's 38.1. But anyway, okay. they're calling it something else. Yeah, I um, bet. Just fun collaborations. Yuko, which we featured their headlamp on our show and the micro candle lantern, they just collaborated with Cole, which is like a beanie hat company. And they are coming out this holiday season, actually, with a beanie that has a headlamp built into it. Hmm. That'll be like a limited edition thing, but just a really fun collaboration. And then you may have seen Gregory packs with the Goal Zero solar panels in them. So it's like a solar integrated pack, you know, just fun collaborations. People are getting together and saying, hey, we have this knowledge. You guys have this knowledge. How can we do a mashup of our stuff? And it seems like, you know, some of these might not go anywhere. They'll just be kind of a, a flash in the pan or a fad thing. And others may just as people use them, they might all of a sudden realize that this is the way it always should have been putting these two things together. The number four awesome thing that I saw at the Outdoor Retailer Show this summer was battery chargers and solar panels everywhere. And this is kind of a, 
I don't know, you could call it a divisive topic. Some people go outdoors to get away from it all, but a lot of us have what's called nomophobia. <laughs> like, we can't just leave our phone at home. There's too much on it that we rely on. So we bring the chargers, we bring the uh, solar panels to kind of keep it juiced up. Nomophobia? Nomophobia, like no more phone, nomophobia. <laughs> Phobia is, yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a first for me. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, Goal Zero was there. They have all their chargers and everything. Enerplex was there. There were some new ones like Hybrid Light and Voltaic and lots of other little ones that are just kind of popping up that, you know, haven't, haven't quite proven themselves yet, but have the opportunity to. There was one solar charger company that I'm really excited about called Powerfilm, and it's super thin solar panels that you can roll up, really compact, and uh, I really hope that we get a chance to take that out on the trail. Well, you're right. In addition to the big guys in solar power, there were a dozen smaller companies I'd never heard of showing their solar panels and their solar rechargeable battery packs. It seemed like there was no end of products. I'd walk up to a booth and they would say, hey, you want to see our light? You know, and it was a light. And they'd say, now on the back, it has a solar panel. So it recharges during the day and you use it at night. And I remember a battery pack that was, I don't know, it was several thousand milliamp hours. So it would probably give you a couple, two or three recharges of your cell phone battery. And on the side, it had a solar panel. And so I asked them, oh, how long does it take to recharge this high capacity battery using the solar panel? And they said something like, well, it only takes about six hours to get enough of a charge to get some charge into your cell phone or whatever you're charging. And it takes, I think it was like two or three weeks of full sunlight every day to fully charge that battery from zero to 100%. Yeah, some of the solar panels are so tiny on these little devices. You really need a lot more surface area. Square footage, yeah, <laughs> to get what you need to repower or uh, recharge something. So I think some companies have gone a little overboard and gimmicky with the solar recharging idea. Yeah. Well, on the same topic of charging, I saw something really cool that is out of Germany, and it's a personal hydroelectric charger. So you throw this little turbine into the stream, and the water passes over it, and it charges this battery that's inside this circular kind of UFO-looking device. It's maybe about the size of a dinner plate or a hat. It's pretty small, and it weighs roughly about a pound. And that little mini hydroelectric power generator was called the Blue Freedom. Sounds kind of heavy for backpackers, but it sounds fascinating. It oh, really yeah. does. Well, the fact that it could go all day and all night without any kind of sun and you could recharge everything. Water is so much more powerful than wind or solar, any of those things. Right. And the first thing you look for when you stop for a campsite is water. So most of us are camping next to water anyway. And the number five thing that I saw at the 2016 Outdoor Retailer Summer Market was this theme of everyone in the outdoors. And it reminded me of when I was a kid, you know, in the summertime, me and my brothers and sisters would be sitting around whining and my mom would say, all right, everybody get outside. And that was a huge theme at the opening kickoff was that 
maybe what our world really needs right now, as we're all sitting around whining and complaining, is someone to just say, all right, everybody, get outside and don't come back till the streetlights turn on. (laughs) And this idea of everyone in the outdoors is something that's not accessible or comfortable for everyone. So one of the speakers from the event kickoff was a woman who has a website called Outdoor Afro, where she helps urban families or specifically African-American families connect with wilderness, you know, making the transition between urban life and wilderness life. And she recognized that both had very similar elements. This idea of accessibility has become really important. Uh, You've probably heard of the uh, Every Kid in a Park campaign because the White House is giving free park passes to all fourth graders, and they're doing it again this year, this school year. And people have recognized the problem is not just having the park pass, but a lot of people can't actually get to the national park. For example, in September, I'm taking a business trip to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool on my off day uh, midweek to just head up into the Sandia Mountains? There's something like 10 miles away from the center of downtown Albuquerque. But you know what? There's no way to get to the Sandia Mountains without a car. Sorry. <laughs> Just, it's good dramatic effect there. That was a really great dramatic pause. <laughs> How long can you hold the dramatic pause? <laughs> and so I'm going to check out the riverfront. You know, there's a park downtown along the river, but I'm not going to make it up into the mountains because I'm not renting a car that week. Well, okay, that's me, business traveler. I could rent a car if I wanted to, I guess. I'm already paying a few hundred bucks to travel there by plane and everything else. What about people who live in downtown Albuquerque but don't own a car? They're 10 miles away from the Sandia Mountains and they may never get there. So true. And it's a bigger problem than you would imagine. There's a campaign called Parks for Kids. It's the number four, so Parks for Kids, that is helping teachers get their classes out into the parks. A teacher can request her project to be crowdfunded, and then you can donate to whatever project you want to. You can keep it local if you want to, or you can just find a project that you really love that speaks to you, and then you can fund to help that class make it to a local national park. So as we talked about in the opening, the idea of everyone in the outdoors is a really strong theme of the outdoor industry. It doesn't matter if you're a backpacker, if you're hook and bullet, or if you're a beach bum. We all need to get outdoors, and anything that we can do to support each other in that goal will bring us so much joy. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Nalgene Silo. Josh loves his Nalgene, and this is a little twist on the classic Nalgene. You've experimented around with all kinds of brands and types and styles of water bottles, but I still stick two one-liter Nalgenes in my pack, (laughs) one on each side, and away I go. I'm trying to help you expand your horizons a little bit with this because it is a classic-looking Nalgene, but it's taller, 50% taller. It's got a carrying capacity of 1.5 liters, but it still takes up the same width of what a normal one liter Nalgene takes up. 
So Nalgene stretched their one liter water bottle to make this 1.5 liter silo water bottle. Yeah, it looks just like a silo too. So before we get into our review, a little bit of history. What did you find about where Nalgene came from? Well, it's funny. I, I don't know how many people know this already, but Nalgene has a really fascinating history that has nothing to do with the outdoor industry at all. It's all technical stuff. It's all for chemists, biologists, it's for lab workers, because plastic is shatterproof and lighter than glass. And so the original Nalgene uh, lineup included things like test tubes, graduated cylinders, and petri dishes. And if you look in the N of Nalgene, this is just what I've heard. I don't know if this is true, but it's supposed to be a test tube in in the you know the negative space of the letter N. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. Do you see it? <laughs> yeah. If you squint. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's just that a test tube is so. Um, it's just a basic cylinder, right? Right. So and you could so, say the letter L in Nalgene is a test tube. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> right. Okay, so it's probably just urban legend or whatever. But I guess the story goes, in the early days of Nalgene, when they were doing all these test tubes and Petri dishes, the president's son joined the Boy Scouts. And right before a trip, the dad was looking for a water bottle and couldn't find a canteen or something like that and ended up taking a lab bottle as a water bottle on this camping trip with his son. And after a few trips with his son, he decided to branch out the company and make water bottles and the iconic Nalgene water bottle was born. So do they still make any of the other stuff? Oh, yeah, wow. they do. I mean, it's this whole other side. I mean, it kind of reminds me of you, Josh, kind of like how you have this, this outdoor podcast, but then there's this whole other side of you that's so technical and data-driven, and it's kind of like that. Hmm. That's interesting that Nalgene has kept both lines going. I, right. Do they have a different website for the like the scientific stuff versus the outdoor water bottles? Yeah. Well, fascinating. And I actually do have a source on that Nalgene story. I talked to the people at Nalgene, and this is a this is a story that they tell. You know, one that's kept alive around the campfires of Nalgene. Outside the headquarters. I don't know if they have a fire, but anyway, <laughs> it's a story they tell, and I think it's really cute. Okay, so let's talk about the structure of the Nalgene bottle. And really, I mean, this one's taller than all the other Nalgenes. But I think other than that, a lot of what we're going to be sharing here for the next minute or so is common to all Nalgene bottles and really comes from this history of the company in, in scientific equipment. Right. And when you say all Nalgene bottles, it's really the clear ones that we're talking about made of the Triton copolyester. But there's some Nalgenes that you might have seen that have kind of a milky white, kind of, I guess they're more flexible. Those aren't the ones we're talking about today. So these are the clear ones. Um, but Nalgene bottles are super rugged and they're designed to withstand a ton of trail abuse. So they're really high impact resistant. As we mentioned, they're made of this Triton copolyester. And one of the things that's important to know about this is that it has been tested and is free, as far as the testing goes, free of estrogenic and androgenic activity. 
plastic plastic has really gotten a bad rap lately because it has these estrogen mimickers and so a lot of people have switched to stainless steel you could even take it one step further and switch to titanium but this has been tested to be free of some of those estrogen mimicking compounds it's also bpa free uh, as in the traditional one liter Nalgene bottle, this also has the exact same lid. It's that loop top lid. This bottle is resistant to staining and will not retain odors, which is awesome. And I can vouch for that. I've had Nalgene bottles forever. And even if they sit around with some stale water in them for a few months, I just rinse them out, refill them, and they're ready to go. The Nalgene can also withstand sub-freezing to boiling temperatures, and it's dishwasher safe as long as you keep it away from the heating element. As far as utility goes, this specific Nalgene, the Nalgene Silo, which is taller, takes up the same volume in your water bottle pouch as the traditional one liter Nalgene. That's because it's the same diameter, it's just taller. So it's just using up some space that's normally not used at all on the outside of your pack. Right. And it also has the graduated volume marks, which is great if you need to measure out water or track your water usage for the day. As far as mass goes, it weighs 7.1 ounces. That's uh, 201 grams. And when you fill it up completely with water, then you're looking at 3 pounds, 9.2 ounces. Maintenance is really simple. It's dishwasher safe, or you can do the old shake and swoosh with water in it on the trail, and that should clean it out well enough. For investment, it's $12, and it is guaranteed for life. I think we have some Nalgene's, not the big silo one, but the traditional one liter that we've had for probably, you've had them for 20 years. Uh, that's possible. Long time. They just keep going. And I haven't had any that have shattered or developed a leak or anything. Yeah, the only issue that we have had is that the water bottle lid, you know that loop? Uh, we've had one that cracked, and I think it's because one of our kids chewed on it <laughs> when they were young, and we ended up replacing it because it did split eventually. Yeah, the strap that the holds, strap, yeah. holds the lid on so you don't lose it. Right, yep. And for trial, Josh, I'm going to turn this over to you because you are just the Nalgene expert in our family. When we've reviewed other water bottles, we've talked about the, um, should I say, the unwieldiness of drinking <laughs> out of a Nalgene. It's wide mouth. It's got a liter of water behind it there. Um, now with this one, we're talking a liter and a half of water. And, and you love water bottles that have some sort of either a smaller opening or a bite valve or some sort of valve to get it down to mouth size. Right. Some way to control the flow. <laughs> And you especially like that when you're trying to drink water on the go, whether you're backpacking or whether you're just in the car and driving over a bumpy road. And I will say, don't try to drink out of this one and a half liter Nalgene unless you are standing perfectly still. <laughs> it just won't work. It's, it's just too much water out of too big of an opening, too much <laughs> momentum coming at you. It really is a water carrying bottle not a water drinking bottle. Now you can solve that with the Human Gear Cap Cap or the Hydropack Watergate. That might help, but you've still got a lot of weight in your hands. Yeah, like drinking. three and a half pounds. Yeah. It's, yeah. So 
I'm kind of torn. I, I guess for the typical backpacking trip that we go on, especially in the Pacific Northwest where we have ready access to water every few miles, I think I'm really comfortable with one liter on each side of my pack. That means I've got a well-balanced pack and I've got a total of two liters of water. And that seems just perfect for me, you know, a little bit of extra to get through a typical day. And I can, you know, I've got plenty of opportunities to refill. So I'm wondering if I pack this one and a half liter bottle, should I pack two bottles so I can stay balanced? Maybe it doesn't matter that much. I don't know. But I think I would only pack this one and a half liter bottle on a trip where I know I'm not going to have as much water as I do here in the Pacific Northwest. The other thing that uh, I'm a little bit worried about with this taller Nalgene is that uh, a, a larger portion of the bottle is sticking up above that pouch on the side of my pack. So with the one liter Nalgene's, I can pretty much get the entire Nalgene bottle surrounded by that stretchy mesh pocket on the outside of my pack. With a one and a half liter, you know, I've got a fair portion of that bottle sticking up above the above that um, stretchy pouch. I do have a strap on the side of my pack that's it would come to about the center of the bottle. So I could tighten that strap down, but these bottles are pretty slick. So that still wouldn't completely prevent it prevent the risk of me leaning forward or leaning sideways and having that bottle just pop out of my pack. Right. It seems like one liter really is the perfect size for an external water pocket or a water bottle pocket. Um, and any more than a liter needs to go inside your pack in some kind of reservoir. Yeah. So then we get into the, the water bladder products. You right. Know, go inside the pack, right against your back, keep the water balanced that way. Yeah, and I would have to say, actually, after this recent outdoor retailer show, I'm a little more open to the idea of using a reservoir. I mean, there are some really great reservoirs out there, like the Hydra Pack was one that one of our listeners actually recommended because you can slide the entire top off and turn the entire bag inside out to give it a good washing. Yeah, which is a problem we've seen with reservoirs that's not a problem with something like the Nalgene bottle. The right. Nalgene bottle, you know, in addition to the fact that it really doesn't get gunked up inside, I mean, it's just, it doesn't retain odors or anything. But on top of that, it's really easy to clean it out, you know, right. just stick it in the dishwasher and the whole thing's going to get clean. It's not going to have any nooks and crannies that get stale stuff in them. Stale stuff in them? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> You know, bacteria, <laughs> mold, fungus. Stale stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, this is a good water bottle just because it is Nalgene and it's built tough. But it sounds like it might be a little bit too tall for external water, but a little bit too bulky for, you know, putting inside of your pack. So, I mean, I guess you just have to make that call depending on, um, you know, how deep your water bottle pockets are in your pack and where you felt like carrying your water. Yeah, and I think that call is really going to come down to your water needs. And if you're going to be on a dry trail where there's only certain water refilling points along the way and you and it's it's going to be hot and dry, you're going to sweat a lot, lose a lot of water to perspiration and evaporation, then, you know, this extra capacity, it could be just what you need. And you're going to deal with the fact that it's taller or a little less convenient to drink out of because you just need to be able to carry that much water. And with this Nalgene bottle, you can carry that additional water without really using any additional space in your pack. 
for today's backpack hack of the week, a Nalgene baby. Now this is something that I can't believe we haven't talked about this before because it's just such a legendary hack and so simple and it's provided just this perfect amount of warmth for thousands and thousands of backpackers who use this hack. So you take your one liter Nalgene water bottle and you boil four cups of water or a liter of water and you fill up your Nalgene and you screw the lid on. Then you slip a sock over the Nalgene water bottle or you can tie a bandana around it and that is your Nalgene baby. And your Nalgene baby will keep you warm all night long. Well, maybe it's a little too early to be doing this as a backpack hack of the week, but I know in just a few weeks, the temperatures are going to drop and this is going to be a really nice comfort item for a lot of our shoulder season backpackers out there. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Noel Grove. He said, the dream is to spiderweb this entire nation with so many green threads, principally along streams and ridges, that every citizen would be only minutes away from one. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, then grab a t-shirt at thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. <laughs> but they're, they're excited. Just all excited. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of valuable information I needed right now. <laughs> all right. Thank you. <laughs> this specific Nile Nile <laughs> Nile Jean. Nile Jean. It's your Nile Jean silo. <laughs>